Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous works. We know this stuff. We know there would never be a time in the church's history, in fact, there would never be a time in all of the meta-narratives history that we have not got more, as much music as what we've got now, hey? I mean, come on. It's an industry. The worship of God is an industry. Go to YouTube, you know, go to wherever you go to. It's an industry. It's a professional industry. There's a whole hierarchy in it. Stuff that even 30 years ago when I came out of the professional music scene, I, I, we dreamed of because we thought, remember these days? We thought if the music in church was funky, if it was up to date, we would see a massive change in our nation. Because everyone could point to the, you know, the organs and the, and, the, and the music in church. And it was so easy to bag it. Why? Because it was horrible. <laughs> when I came into the church, the music, honestly, it was, it was a mu- I mean, I was a professional musician. You know what I mean? It's like you come out of that pub scene in Australia in the 80s. It was a brilliant scene. I mean, you had to be good to survive. I was good and I survived. I loved it. I thrived in the industry. And God just rescued me, out, pulled me out of that and dumped me in the church. At the same time, Darlene Check, Jeff Bullock, all the people in the 80s that with Hillsong, all of my buddies and friends, we were all mates around Australia. We all discovered we came out of the pub scene at the same time. It, it, was, a, it was unbelievable. We'd get together in Sydney at uh, Christian City Church. We'd be with the music director, Chris Folson, talking about the pubs we all used to play because it was common ground. Isn't that amazing? God just plucked professional musicians out and from Australia we set fire to the rest of the world. That's, it's now documented. And it's not just Hillsong. Hillsong caught on to what Melbourne was doing. The Sydney people came set. It was happening in Melbourne before it happened in Hillsong. We used to go to teach at Hillsong. I used to teach at Hillsong when there was only 300 people there. It was God who bought the fire, not Hillsong. Hillsong caught on with it. Hillsong were great management. They built a mega church out of it. Have they changed Australia? No. We were so convinced if we had a church that looked like Hillsong, we were so convinced it would change Australia. You know what I mean? Because we thought that if the church was funky, seriously, we sat in churches like this and thought it'll never work. It'll never work. We've got to get funky. We've got to get funky. We were... To be honest, it wasn't the musicians that were possessed with it back then. It was the pastors. Because the pastors wanted good music in the church for all good reasons. The Psalms tell us to sing loud, to sing clearly. There's so much direction in the Bible. We don't need to go there. Why? Because we've got it right. But we're still missing saving Australia. Australia has not changed. Brian is well aware of that. Yes, some changes have been made, but we even have mega churches with mega light shows, a whole group of them in Melbourne. Yet I don't see Melbourne changing. In fact, I actually see Melbourne and our culture headed in the other direction. I don't think the music in church is going to save Australia. I think it is redeemed lives that are going to save Australia. It is Jesus. It is what we celebrated here. It's what we celebrate in our heart, especially on a hard morning like this morning. 
That's what saves Australia. It's Jesus, it's his blood, amen? It's that incredible, whether it's leather-bound or in your phone, it's the story. It's the story of God's redemption. Oh, this is just fantastic. What we're going to do is actually just look at the second two lines there. His right arm, hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. I want to focus on that. Why? Because we understand music. I'm not going to stand here and rattle on about how, what music does. You all know what it's like to put your headphones on and just zoom out, don't you, with your favourites, whether it's, I don't care what music. We all understand that. We understand the emotion, the power of music. What I'm hoping we're going to look at today gives us a little bit more power and emotion and edge in our music. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. I want us to go back to Egypt. Early in the morning back in Egypt, and as we go through this, the sun will rise. You'll get that later. To the book of Exodus. Remember these guys? The pyramids? Of course, nowadays they'll tell you it wasn't slaves that built the pyramids. Why? Because it's not funky to say that slaves were used to build the pyramids. It is impossible that the people of Egypt built those pyramids without slaves. Impossible. Anyone who knows anything about history understands slavery is just a common part of, of, of culture. You can't have a culture that builds things like that without slavery. You go away and plunder, you come back with a whole line of slaves and you put them to work. 400 years earlier than our story today, that's what happened to the people of Israel. There was a famine in the land, they went down and Israel ended up in slavery for 400 years. That coincides perfectly with the timing of this sort of stuff. Whether or not it was these pyramids, there's pyramids all through Egypt. Mud pyramids, all kinds of pyramids. I've seen them all. I've walked down into the centre of them, some of the smaller ones. The Sphinx, who knows? Was it Jews that built that as slaves? Well, someone did. And the time kind of coincides. So I'm not, it's not a big issue, but let's just say they were in slavery and we kind of know through history that, that that's true. But somehow they ended up in Israel and made Jerusalem their capital city. Something happened in between Israel and this. So Israel were captive 400 years. God speaks to them through Moses. Now Moses was a guy like most of us, hated public speaking. Actually, they believe had a bit, 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 bit of it starts to stutter or something like that. He wasn't comfortable speaking. He did not want to be out in the public. And uh, God said, well, guess what, Moses? Through you, I'm going to talk to the whole nation. In fact, you're going to talk to the king who has you under slavery, the king who was making you do all this work. And Moses said, nah, headed in the other direction. Okay, so God finally tells him and he said, through Moses to the Pharaoh, let my people go. But what he said to Moses in chapter 6, this is early in the peace before the plagues, he said, my promise is I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And it just, it's just one little verse, you read it, it sits there. And then you get caught up in the whole plagues, the ten plagues, you know, the blood, the, bleh, the frogs and all of that stuff. The ten plagues. And then, of course, we come to the tenth plague. The part, and isn't it interesting? This morning we shared communion. That is a direct, it's not one of those, oh, you've got to join the dots in the Bible. The Passover is what Jesus celebrated on the night that he was betrayed. 
and it was the Passover, he's the lamb. It's not just a few dots. The whole story hinges on the fact that the first Passover occurred at the time of the 10th plague, which was that the firstborn sons would all die. I'm sure we know, all know the story. And the Passover means you put the blood on the doorposts and when the angel of death came over Egypt and all those young men died, those who had the blood, the Israeli, didn't die. I mean, just that's a story in itself. Weeks you could just study that story and the language that's used. But so we've now got the beginning of communion or the shadow of communion and death passed over the people of Israel walk we don't know how many I mean some estimates say you know two million was there 600,000 men therefore two million all up we don't it, it would, I mean there might have only been 60,000 doesn't really matter the smaller the crowd the bigger the miracle because there's still a nation today aren't they and some of us have been to Israel and spent time amongst them. And they're a wonderful nation today. And we're talking now back three and a half thousand years. So Exodus chapter 14 is when we get to the point where Pharaoh is chasing the people of Israel. Now remember, Pharaoh is the king. He's got all his chariots. He's got all his money, all his wealth. When he commands something, the whole nation rise up. So he's, he's going hardcore after them. And, but, but by hardcore, one thing in the movies, isn't it? You know, the horses and the chariots and it's all, watch the clock, watch the clock. And then we get to the Red Sea and it stops. It, I mean, that's not how you go to war in those days. You would go a couple of miles one day, stop, make a camp. You'd wait, you'd rest your horse. Horses don't gallop for four days on end, do they? Anyone got a horse? <laughs> it would be dead. Yeah, so the whole thing is in slow motion. You've got to ignore the movies here. It's all in slow motion. But they're being chased out. They get to the Red Sea, and Moses, of course, gets there first in front of them with whatever crowd he had with him. And as I've got, oops, or as Simpson would say, Yeah, follow me. We're going to be redeemed. We're going to be redeemed. Or in Moses' case, we're going to get However he said it. You know what I mean? There's no... I don't know, the Charlton Heston, you know what I mean? Let's just drop it. Perhaps he was short and really overweight and bald. Who knows? We've got to get those images out of our head. The point is, he led them and they listened. And they went and they got to the Red Sea. And like I say, Dog, what are you going to do now, Moses? What do you think he felt like? What do you think he felt like standing there? Exodus chapter 14, verse 16, God commands him and he says, Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea. Now to us, we sort of read that and we go, "Mm -hmm, okay, stretch out your hand. We've seen Charlton Heston do it. Remember it says they they came and had to hold his arms up. And the music and the water and they're apparently still in Hollywood. They've got the place where they made the fake water thing happen, you know, because it's all so important. We, we all focus on the water. What's actually happening to their culture back then is something that we miss in our culture. If I wanted to approach a king and I walked into the throne room and I began to walk before a king, have you ever seen it in movies, what the king does? Imagine this is his scepter. The king has a response, and it's either 
Or it's like a signal on a railway. It's either, or it's, do you know what they both mean? You can live, you can approach me, you can talk to me, you have favour. You will die, your head will roll, I don't like you, you're dead. Serious. That's all a king had to do. All through cultures, even the cultures today, when the Queen blesses government or anything like that, when they open the door, have you seen it in Australia? A scepter, something, a rod, there is something in their hand. Have you ever seen it? Even when parliaments open, they bang, bang, and they walk through. There is a scepter in the hand. Now, to us, we completely miss this because it's, he says, lift up your rod. He had a stick. Remember? It turned into a stick. He had a stick. Moses, the leader of Israel, had a stick. <laughs> you know what I mean? The king of Pharaoh could lift up a gold inlaid, you know what I mean? Something worth billions and squillions. Well, Moses had a stick. But it might have been a good stick. It might have come from way down where he came from or his father. You know what I mean? But Moses had a stick. So here we are. We arrive at the edge of the Red Sea. We know the stories behind him. The pressure's on. And God says, lift up your stick. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a parody. It's a parody. God is good at this. He's playing with them. Moses lifts up his hand and all of a sudden, can you imagine? Can you imagine the ground began to shake? If you were part of the Israelis by now, you're on the ground worshipping. You're on the ground going, freak me out. This is all the part they don't need to write in the book because you just know it would have happened. And slowly the earthquake, slowly whatever was going on, and then all of a sudden ripples in the water. <laughs> Even Moses, oh! like he would have been freaking out. No one would have un understood anything. A stick. But his hand was lifted up. And when his hand got tired, what happened? They had to lift it up. Why? Because the hand had to be lifted up. Why? Because God has promised, I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm. The point of redemption was that sea. Why? Because when he put his arm down, Moses went through, all the chariots, all of Pharaoh's army were killed. Get it? The point of redemption, the arm is lifted up high over that. When you approach a king, if his arm is lifted up high, you have a point of redemption. You can come before that king. Esther, remember when Esther approached her husband, who was the king, that's what had to happen. When Esther approached the throne, he had to either give her favour and allow her to come in, or he could have her head chopped off. It's so, do you understand now, when you look at this story, knowing full well that is the culture, if anyone came before a leader and the leader did not give you favour, you were dead meat. So now, when you're an Israeli and you read this, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea. See that? It's not Moses. It's not the scepter. But by that favour and by that prophetic picture, Lord, the, God, Lord, the Lord God opened the Red Sea. Now, this now becomes a common theme all through, particularly early in the book of the Old Testament. And when I did my study, I did a whole word study on this. It was fascinating. Have a look at the scriptures I've listed there. That is when God says to the people of Israel, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Remember, I redeemed you. I bought you out of Egypt, the scriptures say. You could look up all of these. It says, remember. Hear that? God's saying, remember, go back. The Jews to this day still remember 
the exodus out of Egypt. It's the high point of Jewish thinking and Jewish culture. Why? Because that's when we were redeemed. That's when we were brought out. What does it mean to us? That's when we came out of the world into the kingdom of God. Look at all those prophetic scriptures right through to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We're talking now right up 400 or so years before Jesus. All through their history, these scriptures, as God saying, I will redeem you. Remember, I have redeemed you with an outstretched arm, but it's a prophetic with a question mark. It's a prophetic that never finished, and we know why. Salvation was brought to Israel when Moses lifted up his arm. The Red Sea parted, and the people of Israel were saved. Salvation was brought to all people when Jesus lifted both hands. Now what's incredible is that Moses had the ability to lower his arm. And when he lowered his arm, the favour dropped. And what happened? People had to come and and prop his arm up. Because the arm had to be raised for favour. Do you get the picture? (coughs) (coughs) He couldn't move his arms. Isn't that an incredible picture of our Saviour? He was nailed into the position that both arms, not just the right arm, our King of Kings had both arms extended for our favour and they were nailed to a piece of wood to make sure he didn't lower them. Isn't that incredible? This morning when we celebrate communion, when we celebrate our salvation, when we dance, when we sing, we do it with a Lord whose hands would never, ever not grant you favour. Why? Because they were nailed there. Isn't that an incredible picture? You go back now, I talk about this book. What an amazing book. I was saying to Karen in the car on the way down, 1,500 years before Jesus, that exodus happened. 1,500 years earlier, God said, I will redeem my people with an outstretched arm. God knew what he was thinking. Jesus knew what he was facing. Israel had no idea, and still to this day, many of them still don't get the picture. But thank God, through communion, through the picture, through the meta-narrative, the whole story of this incredible book, we see our salvation bought by two hands. Nailed to a piece of wood. Isn't that incredible? What a wonderful God we serve. I said that the sun would slowly rise. That's Mount Sinai, that big lump in the middle. Now, I wish I could say I've climbed it. I've climbed up to 200 metres from the top and I stopped. (laughs) Can you believe that? What a loser. There's a little chapel right on the top of it. I mean, it looks big. You can't believe when you get out of the car park, it's a six-hour journey up and back. And we were only there five, six years ago. And there's a lot of tourism in that area now. And they know there's tourists there, so our tourist buses have to go on a convoy with the army each end of it. And by one o'clock lunchtime, the convoy left. And if our bus wasn't in the convoy at one o'clock, we don't go and our whole tour falls apart. And you don't want to stay a night up there, blah, 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 blah. So you're on a strict time thing. You get on camels and all the crew went on camels. I followed them because I was filming them doing all the media. So I'm walking kilometre. I had no idea. This stupid mountain's enormous. 
I thought we were climbing, you know, like, I mean, I thought, I don't know, what did I think, hanging rock? <laughs> I don't know. I had this picture in my mind that I was going to carry my camera and walk up the path there all on camera. I got great footage until they all kept going and I'm kind of down the map. It is ginormous. It's the other side. It's the side you approach. And then I got literally two to 400 metres from the top and the time, there was just no time left. I couldn't, especially with my legs and everything. By now I was in agony. So we came back down and I found the camel. They put me on the last camel and I took the camel actually down and got down in time. It was unbelievable. Have you ever ridden on a camel? They're higher than horses. They walk differently than horses. <laughs> and you've got to sit in a way, a special way, right? And so I'm sitting all the way. You're so high and the guy saw that I was comfortable and I knew how to ride a camel. So they let it go. Because camels know the paths, they know the way back. I came down off the bottom of that mountain for about four kilometres on the back of a camel who knew that there was a 4,000 foot drop just there. It was the freakiest thing in my life, walking on, on the back of a camel. And seriously, like we're talking major drops, no fences, no side rails, no. It was a scary thing. That is an amazing mountain. It's still there. It still represents the whole giving of the law, this book. This book, that is that mountain. So I thought I'd let you see the sunrise on that mountain. I finish with this. I said that when we sing, we, need, we can sing differently. When we read that psalm now, let's read just that whole section in mind of what I've just spoken about. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. See that? Why? Because he took his people out of Egypt. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. Why? They were hidden. They were in slavery. To the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. See the picture now? You realise, hang on, this psalm is about God's salvation and grace. It's about him saving. It's about you. It's about the life before you had Jesus. Think of it now in darkness, in slavery. Well, if yours wasn't, mine was. I was lost in that slavery. We, we use the word world, but we know what it means. I was lost. I, I was lost. I was lost. I was lost. I was popular. I was earning money, but I was lost. Remember that? That's what this psalm is about. The whole nation of Israel see salvation through the working of God. And that's what's going to save Australia when the whole nation sees salvation working in your heart. We think it's about loud bells, loud no. We sing loud, why? Because he tells us to and he's so flipping good. We should sing loud. We should clap our hands. In fact, I wish we had more shouting in church. Oh, that's for the Pentecostals. <laughs> No, it's not. It's for Bible-believing Christians. There's a, there's a word for praise, tekela, tekela. And what it means is shouting so loud that I would be heard in the other churches. Seriously. No one. We don't, I've done enough studies on it. We know the Bible. We should be louder in church if we're going to obey this. But I'll leave that between you and the sound guy. It's his fault, right? <laughs> but seriously, singing... But what we need is this whole thing of salvation. 
And that's the theme today. We serve a God who saves us. It is your salvation. It is the change in your life that is God's message to the nations. With Israel, they can see that because of the redemption through the Red Sea. With you, they should see that because of your changed life. What Jesus has done in me is just so real and so radical. That's what will change people's lives. Amen? Amen.